Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us, and we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day, and I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events, and uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. We're going to read one passage of scripture here. Amen. And then I want to preach to you something uh, that's been laid on my heart. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's read that together again. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah spoke these words depending on um, whose authority of history you lean upon somewhere between 750 to 1,000 years prior to the birth of Christ he prophesied these words that there's coming a day that Messiah is coming to earth and you're going to call him wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father and the Prince of Peace. We need the Prince of Peace in this world today, don't we? Amen. And Jesus Christ fulfilled that. I want to I talk about that today. I want to preach on that for a little while today. Uh, typically, I just go back and kind of rehearse in great detail the, the first Christmas day when Christ was born. But I want to take a different avenue of approach to Christmas this morning and I want to preach on five names for the Christ child five names for the Christ child would you help me pray this morning Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you Lord for the hope and the strength that your word brings into our life and Lord I pray right now that your spirit would have preeminence in our life that you would open our understanding that you would open our hearts to hear to receive and to know today God, I pray we leave here with better understanding and revelation of who you are and the power of the moment that we live in and prophecy being fulfilled of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. Would you thank the Lord one more time before you're seated today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. The name given in scriptures, names that have been given in scripture to our Lord are highly significant. There are many of those names because one or a dozen or very many names could never tell the wonders of his person and work. Someone has said that there are over 500 proper names and descriptive terms used in scripture to portray God. And you can rest easy. I'm not going to read all 500 of those names. 
And names in the Bible had much significance. And today we're going to talk about five of them, hence the title, Five Names for the Christ Child. As you're all aware, the names of men and women today have ceased to distinguish them from what their names mean or identify them to be, or even their mission in life. I read of a man who named his child Dora simply because a rich kinsman had promised to give the child a rich and significant gift if she were called by that name. Had the father inquired, he would have learned that Dora is an abbreviated name form of Theodora, which means gift of God. Again, Henry is a name that many years ago was common enough throughout the generations, but not so many are named that. The name Henry means home ruler or ever rich. The name speaks of one who manages his home affairs wisely and well, and yet there are some of us who know a Henry or two that has not exemplified the meaning of that name. But in Bible times, the name meant everything. The name James means superior. Yet how many bearing that name have not lived up to the meaning of that name? And history is filled with many inferior men that bear the name James. But in Bible times, however, it was not so. Among the Hebrews, names had a very definite significance. Your name identified you. When you called out a person's name, it was more than just a name of a relative, but it was a name that signified what the definition of their life was. Among the Hebrews, amen, we find names like Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. He left the idolatry of Chaldea and erected altars to the one true and living God. And it was the Lord himself that changed his name, amen, from Abram, which means high father, to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And Abraham became the father of the Israelites, the Ishmaelites, and the Midianites, and of many other nations that exist today and throughout history. In a wider spiritual sense, he became the father of the faithful. He became the father of us all who are born again of the water and of the spirit of Jesus Christ. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is now the seed of Abraham. And so we become through spiritual inheritance the children of Abraham. Pharaoh's daughter gave Moses his name because she drew him out of the water. His name, Moses, means one drawn from the water. Jacob's name signified him as a supplanter and even a digger, a deeper dig into the name Jacob in the Hebrew reveals it's not just supplanter, but it means that, that he is a con man. And how would you like to have a name going through life that says con man? I'd like you to meet my brother-in-law, the con man. I'd like you to meet my father, the supplanter. This is my son. Don't trust him with your money. Don't let him watch your kids. They're, they're trouble. It meant that he was identified by this one who takes the place of another who was changed by the Lord God Jehovah his name was changed from Jacob the supplanter the con man to Israel meaning a prince with God it's so amazing how one touch of God can change the definition of somebody's life just one encounter with God can take you from a con man to a prince from someone who is robbing others of their possessions 
to someone who has the ear of Almighty God. When Jacob saw the letter that the ladder that reached to heaven, he called the place where he met the Lord Bethel, which means the house of God. When he wrestled with the angel at the same place, he called that place Peniel, meaning the face of God. All 12 of Jacob's sons were given names suggestive of certain conditions existing at their birth. Samuel, the prophet, his name means asked of God. David's name signifies in Hebrew, beloved, and their names definitely reflected those things. We might go on endlessly illustrating from the Hebrew names the significance that has been attached to them, but these few suffice to illustrate the, the importance of a name to the Hebrew people. Therefore, we were deeply impressed by the many beautiful names that have been given to God, amen, both by man and by God himself concerning himself. For example, when he spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he called his name, I am that I am. I am that I am. And the definition of that meant that, that he was the self-existing one and he dwells through all of time and eternity. To God, there is no beginning and there will be no end. He just has always been. This is hard for our finite minds to understand an infinite God of eternity. It's hard for us you know, uh, I, I was—I I do a lot of reading and, and a lot of listening to um, uh, professors, and, and uh, one of them uh, was talking about the idea of, of the Big Bang theory that that we have learned in school, and all of these different understandings that that quantum uh, physics. Uh, uh, professors have and and what they've come to find out is that there is a new consensus in science that the big bang theory was neither big nor was it a bang but they still call it the big bang they say that they believe that time in the world began with energy about the size of a tennis ball and it was very dark and it began to expand rapidly and then cosmic lightning begins to form dust particles that swirl through the power of gravity being pulled by endless uh, and, and, and limitless amounts of dark holes and dark matter that begins to pull at them until they spin violently enough to call dust particles in the cosmos to begin to come together and unify until little pieces of dust become rocks and rocks become to form planets and all of the comets and the asteroids and billions and billions of years. I want to tell you it takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in God. If you got the faith that this whole thing could exist in a moment through an accident, then you must have the same faith that a tornado could go through a junkyard and produce a scientifically advanced 747. If you got that kind of faith to believe it all began with just a bang, then you must have enough faith that if you broke a watch and you put it in a paper bag and shook it for a thousand years, that when you open that paper bag, there would be a brand new Rolex watch that was ticking on absolute atomical time. But we understand that that's not how this began. But the world was framed by the word of God. We understand that in the beginning, God, it's hard for us to reason that there has always been 
been a God. And there will always be a God. When he spoke to Moses in that burning bush in the desert, he said to Moses, I am that I am. Although it's, it's at face value, it seems very simple. There is a depth to it that is beyond comprehension. What God was saying is, I am the self-existing one. I have always been and I will always be. And I will always be everything that you'll need and I will always be everything that you need. I have always been. I, I don't, I'm just not where I am, but I'm where you were and where you will be. I am at every point in space and time at the same time. God is with us still in the beginning of the earth and yet at the end of the earth God exists because God does not go through time as we go through time. We as humans, we see time like a parade. We see it one segment at a time, but God sees it in his entirety. He can see it from beginning to end. As a matter of fact, he is in the beginning and he is in the end. He's in your present right now and he's still present at your birth. He's still present at your birth in your past right now and he's present in the birth of your great grandparents. He's present here and he's already present if time shall go on. He's present at your death. He is present at the death of great grandchildren you've never seen born because God has always been and he will always be. He is the I am that I am. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he applied this to his name of deity to himself. And he would give descriptions of himself saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. Amen. In John chapter 8 and verse number 58, Jesus said, uh, and, and when he said to the unbelieving Jews, before Abraham was I am they sought to stone him for claiming to be God Jesus stood and said let me grab an Old Testament description of who I am not only am I all of the aforementioned descriptions but I am that I am I am before Abraham was I am his name Jesus means Jehovah has become salvation Messiah is the Hebrew uh, for the Greek word Christ the Lamb of God speaks to us uh, of his sacrificial work on the cross. Lord is a name for deity. Jehovah means the self-existing one who reveals himself. Son of God emphasizes his deity while the son of man emphasizes humanity. I'm talking about names and descriptions of God. As, as the eternal word who was made flesh and dwelt among us, he, he told forth the very thoughts of God toward us a never dying love, a never wavering affection for mankind from the time of the garden, amen, even to the time now and time in the future. The Holy One of God tells us that he was without sin and is without sin. Redeemer speaks to us of how he bought us from the plenty of everlasting condemnation and, and, and conviction of our soul that was doomed to eternity without him and how that the Redeemer stepped in and with his own blood he purchased us amen and brought us to him he is called the king of glory somebody say the king of glory 
Amen. And he is also called Shiloh, which means peacemaker. He is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. And these three names signify his atoning work on the cross, his intercessory work at the throne of grace, and his kingly glory. He is called the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the chiefest among 10,000, the one who is altogether lovely, all reminding us of his beauty and perfection and that he is without parallel or equal in this world. Amen. He is called the Nazarene, the carpenter, and the servant of Jehovah. These tell us of his humble, lowly obedience to his Father's will. The whole volumes have been written about the many beautiful names given to the one true God, but these will suffice to illustrate the importance that the scripture attaches to the name of our Lord. Through all of the descriptions given to him, give us insights into him partially. Amen. Today, I want to walk through five names that were given to the Christ child. They will serve to prove to us that the prophet Isaiah and the people to whom he he wrote, realized something of the far-reaching implication associated with the names given to the promised Messiah in the message that we are considering today in the five names for the Christmas child. No doubt they ran out uh, uh, good tidings of great joy to a people who sat in darkness. Even the one whose name shall yet to be called by all men everywhere, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and and the Prince of Peace. Like a ringing of a bell in eternity, the angels sung forth their chimes down through the ages, promised a, promising a kingdom where dwelleth righteousness, promising a golden age yet to be ushered into mankind from a God whose promise will never fail. As these chimes of Christmas echoed down through the centuries, glimpses were caught here and there by prophets and prophets prophecies given that have been recorded and preserved through thousands of years. Amen. That there would be peace and goodwill that would cover the earth because of this Christmas child. Amen. First of all, the prophet said his name shall be called wonderful. Everybody say wonderful. First of all, this morning, let us consider the fact that his name shall be called wonderful. The fact is that our Lord has always been wonderful. How many know this morning that he is a wonderful God? Before the heavens and earth were created, he was wonderful in his being. In his glory and his beauty, he has always been wonderful. In Old Testament times, he was wonderful in his patience. He was wonderful in his love with his sinning creation. He didn't wipe out all of man, amen, but he had mercy upon us. How faithfully he led and taught and chastened them throughout all of the centuries. He was wonderful in his birth, for he was born as no other human being was ever born on earth. God was his father, amen, and he was conceived, the Bible says by the Holy Ghost. He was the only begotten son of God. A beautiful star led the Magi from the east and they led their way down through the desert to find themselves at Bethlehem's manger. Angels filled the sky on the night when he was born. Humble shepherds learned of this miraculous birth through the singing of angels. Amen. As they birthed forth singing glory to God in the highest. 
and peace on earth toward men. His birth was wonderful. It was a wonderful birth. Jesus Christ, our Lord, was not only wonderful in his birth, but he was also wonderful in his life. The Bible tells us that he lived a holy and a sinless life on earth. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 says, The Father spoke more than once from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John 8 and 29, Jesus himself could say, I do always do things that please him. And his, his disciples spoke of him often. Amen. And they spoke of him with authority using such terms as he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 says that he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. Our Lord Jesus Christ had a wonderful birth and he had a wonderful life. But he was also wonderful in his works because the way he worked with man was an absolutely wonderful work. Only because he was God could he perform the mighty miracles that he performed. Moreover, because he always was and is now and ever shall be uh, the God of love. He had compassion on the multitudes. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that he healed the sick, that he opened eyes of the blind, that he raised the dead back to life. He cast out demons. He, he comforted the brokenhearted and he forgave sins. And the Bible tells us that only God could do that. As the creator, as the creator, he manifested his power over nature, turning water into wine. Only God can do that. While stealing the tempest from the bow of the boat and saying, peace be still, he could calm a violent storm to where the waves would lay down and the water would become still as glass. Only God could do that. He took it one step further and he walked upon the top of the water while in the midst of a raging storm. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000. Only God could do that. Then he showed us his power over nature. Amen. His power over sickness. His power over demons. And eventually he would show us his power over death, hell, and the grave. He was wonderful in his works. Never has there been a man like him before and never will there ever be a man like him afterwards because he is wonderful. Somebody say, he is wonderful. He was not only wonderful in his works, but he was wonderful in his words. Amen. Even the officers who were sent by the Pharisees to take him prisoner could only reply in John 7 and 46, never hath a man spake like this man. They could not even take themselves to arrest him because the wonderful words of Jesus captivated them as they stood on the side of the hill that day. He always spoke truth and he spoke the truth about God and he spoke the truth about the plan of salvation he always spoke the truth about things to come he always spoke the truth about man's moral and ethical obligation to God and his fellow man because Jesus was wonderful in his words but he was also wonderful in his death because no one has ever died as he did a propitiatory sacrifice for sin amen for he died that we might live and he 
died willingly for lost souls like me and you. So he was wonderful in his death. The Bible says no greater love hath this uh, than a man would lay down his life for a friend. And brothers and sisters, if he was wonderful in his death, you better believe he was wonderful in his resurrection because our God did not stay a man in that fleshly manifestation in the grave. Amen. But after three days in the tomb, he resurrected up out of that grave. And the Bible says he is glorified. He is very real. And the body of Christ bore the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He broke the band of death, robbing Satan of his mightiest weapon and the greatest effect on mankind. And because he lives, the Bible says, we shall live also. Aren't you glad that you serve a wonderful God? Not only shall his name be called wonderful, but his name shall be called counselor as well. We may not even attempt to say that in ages past. The world of men has accepted, amen, the, the, uh, Christ as counselor. Today, the unbelieving world still rejects his counsel. Psalms 2 and 2 says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. It's not a new thing for the earth to reject the counsel of God, but they do reject his counsel. The godless world crucified the only wise God, our Savior, in Jude 25. Even those of us who love him and truly want his counsel, we all too often ourselves fail to go to God for wisdom and guidance in the time of need. But how many can say that when I have went to God for wisdom and guidance, he, I have always found myself having God's ear. And the Bible said, let any man ask of God for wisdom or understanding, and he will give it to them liberally amen he's a God that wants to be your counselor you see we are self-willed people we're impatient people we, we oftentimes forget our utter dependence on God we used to sing a song that says I can't even walk without you holding my hand there's got to be a level of dependence in the life of a believer that we never rise above our need of having Jesus in our life on a daily basis. I don't make big decisions in my life without Jesus. I don't even make small decisions in my life without Jesus. I want Jesus to be my counselor. But in the ages to come, it will not be so. All men shall call him counselor. His inherent worthiness. He has always been the only safe and true counselor, but never yet has the sinful world accepted him in total as the counselor. Thousands of years of human history uh, are recorded and they record the failure and sin on the part of frail, weakened, faulty humanity and the nations are rushing headlong into eternal doom. All the nations that forget God, the world, is at war with itself. Strategically they are allying themselves one with another oh but if we could just go to God's word if we could just go to God himself he could give wisdom you want world peace it's not going to come through the UN it's going to come through Jesus Christ because the only hope for our world is Jesus Christ 
But the Bible says that when Christ sits upon the throne of David, then all men everywhere will ask who hath been his counselor. He shall judge in righteousness and in equity. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I'm glad I serve a counselor today that can help me in time of need. Is your heart broken? Go to the counselor. You've got big decisions in your life and you don't know which way to go? Go to the counselor. Go to the one who sees all. Go to the one in whom your tomorrow is already in the palm of his hand. Amen. But Isaiah didn't stop there. Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And the Bible says he shall be called the Mighty God. The Lord Jesus Christ was the Almighty God throughout time past in eternity. He was with God with us in his incarnation. As the God-man, he moved among men, performing mighty miracles everywhere he went. Then in his death, it looked to the world as if his claims to deity were going to be false. And the world thought he was going to be proven to be a failure or, or some latest that was claiming to be Messiah who would fall. But his resurrection uh, foretold in the Old Testament by the man of Galilee himself proved for all time and eternity that Jesus of Nazareth was not just another man but he was the almighty one the one into whose hands had been committed all power both in heaven and in earth because after he was resurrected for 40 days he showed himself alive to those that loved him then in his ascension he added further proof that all his claims to deity would forever be established. Yet it will not be until he takes the reins of government in his omnipotent hands that the whole world will acknowledge him as the mighty God. And the Bible says on that day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Can you say amen? This name of our Lord takes us back to the days of Abraham, the patriarch, that first told, was first told that the God in whom he had put his trust in was called El Shaddai. Everybody say El Shaddai. El Shaddai means the God who is enough. Look at somebody and tell them your God is enough. It was when Abraham was 99 years old that El Shaddai appeared to him. And the Bible said in Genesis 17 and 1 that I am the mighty God El Shaddai. Walk before me and be thou perfect. At this meeting of the Lord with Abraham, the latter's name was changed to Abraham. As I spoke earlier, it went from a father on high to the father of many nations. The token of the Abrahamic covenant was established and the birth of a son of praise was foretold for the ensuing year. He said, walk before me and be thou perfect. El Shaddai said to Abraham, in other words, I'm going to be the God of more than enough. I know that you don't think in your old age that I can work for you, but I am the God of more than enough. And for such a walk, the almighty God promised strength and companionship by the way. What a word. What a mighty 
God that we serve. It symbolizes the source of all power, all majesty, and all might. Christ's almighty power as creator, amen, shaped a world into being. His voice brought order out of chaos and light out of darkness and life eternal out of everlasting condemnation to death. It was God. It was El Shaddai. It was God made manifest in flesh. By the power of the risen Christ, all nature fulfills its mission. Every tree, every flower, every mountain, every valley, every bird song, every flash of lightning, all of God's universe speaks of his omnipotence. Everything praises God, whether it has sentience or not, whether it has conscience or not, everything praises God. The flower that blooms in the spring spreads its petals to praise God. And every leaf that withers in the winter, it also praises God. For as it does what God has set it in order to do, its existence is a praise unto the power of the mighty God that we serve. But the question we have to ask of this name this morning is, how does this manifestation of power help me? Simply because I know that the Almighty God is able to keep my soul. Is that enough? Or is there something more that I need to identify with this mighty God? And to that I say, absolutely. He can be the mighty God in your life. Not just by the divine order of Genesis, but of divine submission to the will of God. And repenting of our sins and being baptized in his name and receiving his spirit. Can you say amen? Since he has all power in heaven and earth, I can trust him with all that concerns me. Knowing that Satan and all his hosts, the Bible says, does not have the power to pluck me out of his hand. On my pilgrimage to heaven, on our way to heaven with God, we may stumble and we may fall. But we are, as the Bible says, beneath the everlasting arms of the almighty El Shaddai, the God who is enough. Have you failed? It's okay because God is enough. Have you lost your way? It's okay because your God is still enough. Do you struggle with feeling worthy or not? Don't worry, your God is enough. He is El Shaddai. He is the mighty God. He is enough for you. Do you need mercy this morning? He is the God who is enough. Do you need forgiveness? He is the God who is enough. He is El Shaddai. He is the God who is enough. Oh, would you give him praise this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The fourth name, the fourth name is the name Everlasting Father. Everybody say Everlasting Father. Foretold of the coming one who was all both who, who was always both the only begotten son and the everlasting father. When he was upon the earth, he told men that he and the father were one and the same. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. There should be no confusion as to who the father is or who I am. We're not two separate persons, but we are the same. For when you see me, you have seen the father. Amen. He said that he was in the Father, and the Father was in him. Our Lord came to manifest the Father on earth, according to Paul. 
in 1 Timothy 3.16. To Philip's request, amen, he showed to the disciples the Father. Jesus said in John 14 and 9, have I been so long with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then show us the Father? Jesus was showing them who the Father is. He says, if you want to see the Father, you look right at me because I am the everlasting Father. Amen. Everlasting Father is a comforting name. Everlasting Father is something that brings peace and comfort into the life of a believer. Everything about us is fleeting. Everything about us is temporal. Everything about us is changing. Young people, this may shock you, but you're not always going to look like you look, and you're not always going to feel the way you feel. Enjoy waking up on cold mornings and your joints not hurting because one of these days you're going to wake up and you're going to stand up beside your bed and your joints are going to sound like Rice Krispies in a bowl when milk is poured. You are going to snap, crackle, and pop your way down to the coffee maker and beg the juices of that black bean to give you enough energy to walk out the door. You don't feel like that now, but there's coming a day. And every adult said, preach that, pastor. Let them know. Amen. Amen. You're, you're not always going to appear the way you are. Amen. There's nothing you can do to change it. Life and gravity has a way of pulling down on us. The tall become shorter. The strong become weaker. Amen. Things that were you, you took for granted now begin to change. Hair begins to fall out. Skin begins to sag. Amen. Teeth begin to yellow. It's just the process of aging in our life. And there's nothing you can, there is no fountain in you. You can nip it, tuck it, dye it, fry it. You can do anything you want and it ain't going to change but for a moment. Amen. Because everything about us is fleeting. We, the world is ever seeking and yet never finding that which will abide apart from the message brought down to earth by the one whose name shall be called the everlasting father. Amen. You will change but he will never change. You will go through cycles but God will never go through cycles because he is the everlasting father he will be for you what he's always been to men and women in the past do you need a friend that's sticking closer than a brother he will be right by your side has your earthly father abandoned you has earthly relationship forsaken you not the everlasting father he loves you with an everlasting love oh hallelujah It's no wonder that Napoleon, while reviewing his army before the pyramids of Egypt, said as he stopped, there is nothing lacking here. Then catching his breath, he added, except permanence. In other words, everything is changing. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Nations rise and nations fall. But one thing remains, the everlasting Father will be faithful to you and with you. Can you say amen? It's startling to us to see how the things of earth come to naught. Where are the Pharaohs of yesterday? Where are they 
today? Where are the men who built the most wonderful kingdoms that the world ever saw? Where are, where are they now, the mighty armies that marched in their hundreds of thousands? The chariots that rode through the dusted plains of Greek and Rome as they fought a man throughout centuries past. Where are the kingdoms of the world today? Amen. Where are the kings and the queens and the princes and the princesses? I'll tell you where they are. They are withered old mummies in a glass case in some museum somewhere. Where are the Caesars of today? I'll tell you where they are. Their their bones have become the dust to which the streets of Rome are paved with to this day. Where is Nebuchadnezzar in all his glory in the past? The exact site of his palace splendor cannot even be identified. Their day came and their day went, but I want you to think about it. I want his love will never change and the everlasting father will always be the same. Think about it today. We carry in our pockets and especially on the first Sunday of every month, we carry in our pockets coins that bear the image of past presidents of the United States. Where are they now? They're in graves. They have dust. They have withered away and life has left their frail bodies but not our everlasting father. He never changes. Amen. Even the metal that their, that their image has been ingrained upon is beginning to wear and beginning to fade. Today, you and I sit in the pews and the chairs of this church. We who minister stand behind our pulpits, but tomorrow, if the Lord tarries, we shall all be gone. Everything that you see, if the Lord tarries, a thousand, ten thousand years, everything you know shall be covered in dust. And from the dust we came and to the dust of the earth we shall return yet in the midst of this you and I long for life we want life and rightly we do so we bury our loved ones in the grave and one asks us as Job did in Job 14 and 14 if a man dies shall he live again I want to tell you the infidel has no power of hope the infidel has no power of hope the unbeliever has no hope in this world or in this life or the life to come the worldly wise he say at the best we don't know amen but God's living word tells us that he whose name is everlasting father reassures us in saying in John 11 and 25 through 26 Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die Amen. This world may turn to dust again, but our hope and our trust in an unchanging God is the only thing that will keep us beyond this world. Kingdoms will rise and fall. Nations will rise and fall. Pyramids will be erected and will disintegrate. Nations and flags will cease to wave in their power, but the hope of God in eternal life will never change because if you believe on him there's life everlasting amen
And as I begin to close, and I bring you to the fifth name in Isaiah 9 and 6. Amen. The Bible says his name shall be called the Prince of Peace. When Christ was born in Bethlehem, the angel, uh, they began to appear unto angel, to, to shepherds as they watched their flock by night. Amen. And it is, it is what they said that strikes such a chord in our heart. Because what our world needs today is peace. And it's not peace that comes through a treaty that can fail when one or both parties fail to adhere to the treaty. It's not a peace that can be created by a mediator or a moderator somewhere on this earth. Amen. But what this earth has longed for since the time of the fall of man in the garden is peace. We need the peace of Almighty God. There was so much tumult and turmoil on the earth when Jesus appeared. The Roman army now were the occupying oppressors over the Jewish people, and they wanted peace. They wanted freedom, and they wanted peace. It was that night on the Judean hillside that the choir of angels began to appear from another dimension as if the curtain of time had been pulled back. And the angels began to sing in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 14. They lifted their voice and sang in perfect four-part harmony, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men in whom he is well pleased. It was Christ himself who said in his own words in John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus said this to his disciples picking up on what the angels had sang just 33 years earlier. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. Amen. The peace that Jesus gives to the redeemed includes the peace with God, the peace of God, and peace on earth. Amen. Romans 5 and 1, Paul says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 20 says, having made peace through the blood of his cross, he is our peace. The sad truth is that many of God's born again children do not know what it means to have the peace of God in their life. In a restless, in a troubled world, even the children of God panic on what the stock market is doing. They're troubled by what the economy's doing. They fret by who's elected or who's not elected. But not the children of God. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in a frail structure of mankind. Our hope is not tied up into Wall Street. It's not tied up into Main Street. It's not tied into Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. But our hope and our peace is ingrained into us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. And my peace I leave with you. Hallelujah. They that are saved by his grace for all of eternity, yet we worry and fret and fear about what tomorrow may bring while all the while God's love, God's love for us longs for us to take rest in him, not rest in a 401k, not rest in an election or a politician or a new job or a new home or a new relationship, but our rest must be found in God because he is the prince of peace. Through the Apostle Paul's writing, he bids us, everyone who has been redeemed, 
to heed his admonition in Philippians 4 and 6 through 7. Paul writes and says, be careful. It means anxious. Be careful uh, or anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God and the peace of God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And in that coming day which seems to be even at our door Amen. The Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will come in glory to establish peace on earth, which will be a literal worldwide and abiding peace. The day will come when our Lord Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah 2 and 4, shall judge among the nations, shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore because the day is coming when the prince of peace is coming back to this earth to establish his kingdom Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, Christmas chimes. And what Christmas chimes they are, are toiling out through eternity into this place today. And they are singing good tidings of great joy. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. They echo in our hearts this Christmas season, bidding us to think upon him who was born of the virgin and fathered of the Holy Ghost. They tell us that he was the only begotten son of God, of the Father, given to a world that was lost and dying in the sorrow of their sin. They point us to that future day, amen, when every man everywhere shall call his name in perfect harmony, that he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of With the psalmist of many centuries ago, we sing with hearts of joy and peace of Psalms 9 and 10. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Psalms chapter 9 and verse 8 through 10 says, He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in the time of trouble. And they that know his name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Musicians, if you'll come. I'm glad I know the name of this Christ child. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. You might find momentary relief in a bottle. You might find momentary relief in in, in, in psychosis states of altering of mind through any other substance, but it's only temporary. And the effects are always damaging. But there is a place in God. I said there is a place in God. There is a place in God where he becomes everything that you need. There's a beautiful story of a song that gave glory to God upon Christmas Eve many years ago that has been printed 
into a little track that I remember years ago and I was able to find online. It was called When Sankey Sang the Shepherd's Song on Christmas Eve. And I'm going to quote it in its entirety because it gives honor and glory to the Christ of Bethlehem and the Christ of the cross. The story says this. This true story happened on Christmas Eve of 1875. Ira D. Sankey to whom God had given a wonderful power to sing, but to sing the gospel as he worked with Dwight L. Moody. He was traveling by steamboat up the Delaware River. It was a calm, starlit evening, and there were many passengers gathered on the deck. Mr. Sankey was asked to sing, and as always, he was perfectly willing to do so. He stood there leaning against one of the great funnels of the boat, his eyes raised to the starry heavens in quiet prayer. It was his intention to sing a Christmas song, but somehow he was driven from within to sing what is known as the shepherd's song. And he sang these words. Savior, like a shepherd lead us, much we need thy tender rest care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us, for our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought thine we are we are thine do thou befriend us be the guardian of our way keep thy flock from sin defend us seek us when we go astray blessed Jesus blessed Jesus hear oh hear us when we pray thou hast promised to receive us poor and sinful though we be thou hast mercy to revive us grace to cleanse and power to free blessed Jesus blessed Jesus we will early turn to thee. Early let us seek thy favor. Early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love our bosoms fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us. Love us still. There was a deep stillness on the deck that night. Words and melody welling from the singer's soul floated out over the deck of that quiet river. Every heart was touched. After the song ended, a man with a rough, weather-beaten face came up to Mr. Sankey and he asked this question. Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, answered Mr. Sankey. In the spring of 1860. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, answered Mr. Sankey, very much surprised. So do I, said the stranger. But I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away from here alive. I raised my musket and I took aim at your head. I was standing there in the shadow completely concealed where the full light of the moon was falling on you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and you began to sing. Music, especially song, has always had a wonderful power over me and so I took my finger off the trigger. Let him sing to the end of his song, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events. My bullet can't miss him in the contrast of this light. But the song you sang was the song you sang just now. 
I heard the words perfectly. We are thine. Do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words begin to stir up the memory in my heart. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many, many times sang that song to me growing up. But she died all too soon. Otherwise, much in my life would have been no doubt different than it is today. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to raise my rifle and take aim at you again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of its own accord dropped limply at my side. Since that time, I have wandered far. But when I saw you just now standing there praying, as on the other occasion, I recognized you. And my heart was wounded by your song. Now I wish you would help me find a cure for this sickness of sin that's in my soul. Moody records that deeply moved Mr. Sankey threw his arms around the man who in the days of the war had been his sworn enemy. And this Christmas Eve, the two went together to the manger in Bethlehem and to the cross of Calvary at the same time. And the stranger found him who was the only Savior, the one of whom the angel and the prophet said centuries ago, the angel of the Lord said unto them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that day, that old Confederate soldier began to find the cure to his sin, sick soul. I want to tell you this morning, there is a God that knows your every need and has heard your every cry. And he's in this house today. And he wants to touch you in this Christmas season. He wants to become the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's such a beautiful peace and calming of God's presence in this place. You want to know why? Because when he is exalted, when he is talked about, he draws near unto his people. And just as that man that day on the deck of that paddle boat going up the Delaware River could find peace for his soul, I'm telling you this morning, you can find peace for your soul. You're not going to find it in the entertainment of this world. You're not going to find it in a bottle. You're not going to find it in a drug. You're not going to find it in a relationship. And believe me, you're not going to find it in money. You're not going to find it by, by gathering unto yourself the accolades and the acclaim of people of this world. The only thing that's going to bring peace into your soul is the love of an everlasting Father that becomes the Prince of Peace in your would you lift your hands with me all over this building right now, Jesus? We thank you this day, Lord, that you came to this earth to become Messiah. That you came to us, O oh Lord, to be the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor and the mighty God. Lord, I pray right now for everyone under the sound of my voice in this room.
Lord, that they're walking through situations and pains in their life and they don't have the wisdom, they don't have the understanding how to deal with things that are going on in their life. Lord Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, as they begin to sense the divine touch of your spirit in this place. Lord, I pray that they would have the strength, oh God, and the resolve and courage to reach out to you this morning and say, God, I need your help. Lord, whether they be guests or members, Lord, that is in this place seeking guidance and seeking direction, peace for their soul. God, I pray that you would move into their life in this Christmas service, oh God, in the name of Jesus. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to join me? Amen. Around the front this morning as we celebrate the God of eternity that came to live and give his life so that we could follow after him. Is there turmoil? Is there anxiety in your life? Is there overwhelming stress and fear? Amen. That's coming into your soul. I want you to come and talk to the Prince of Peace this morning. He's in this house. Hallelujah. The everlasting Father is in this house. You may have been forsaken of relationships in the past. People may have let you down in the past, but God is never going to let you down. Oh, that's it. Go ahead and just lift those hands and begin to talk to him right now in this place. Lord, I surrender all to you this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Just reach to him. Oh, hallelujah. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, move into this place right now. Hallelujah. Maybe there's a sickness in your life or in your family that you're struggling with. Come on, let the Prince of Peace begin to flow right now into your life. Hallelujah. 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 That wonderful God is in this place right now. That's it. Just begin to reach out to him right now. He's the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's in this place. somebody right now. Just begin to connect with them and pray with them. Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.